Well, where we left off last week um, in this study, I'm just going to jump into it because I went a little bit long last week. I don't want to do that again this week, but uh, no promises. Start preaching about the church, and it gets exciting for me. Uh, so, anyways, there were some uh, challenges that we saw in some of the foundational truths uh, that are, are we, we, we come across when we're studying the book of Acts, uh, but also some of those examples that we see in them that are very applicable for our lives today as the church of Jesus Christ. Same church, just a different era uh, in time. And so this morning we're coming to chapter 2, and we're going to see this fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave them in chapter 1 and verse 8, where they recapped, and he said that you shall receive power. Um, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. And again, this, this promise of God that the Holy Spirit was going to come, the, the Comforter was going to come, fill the church with power so that the church could do what God commanded the church to do uh, was going to be fulfilled, and, and that's what we're going to get to this morning. So very exciting stuff. Let's pray, and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you again for this time. We thank you for uh, being our holy God. Um, Lord, we thank you so much for, uh, just as the song was just sung, uh, being with us through it all. Lord, in, in the fire, Lord, you were with those three Hebrews in, in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And uh, God, you are still with us when our lives are tried and uh, especially by persecution. And uh, Lord, we, on that note, I, I want to continue to lift up the churches around our nation that are facing persecution from local governments and uh, telling tell them they, they have to shut down and, and can't gather as your people. And um, Lord, I pray that you just lift those, those pastors up and, and strengthen them and the, the leadership of those churches and the, and the, the churches themselves, uh, that they will experience the same power that we're, we're seeing in this morning's message. Lord, help us as a church to not look for comfort, not look for a place that we like, but a place that pleases you. Lord, help us to, to submit our lives and live our lives in such a way that you are, are glorified regardless of our circumstances. Lord, we pray that you would just move now. If there's someone here that's lost, watching online, that, that doesn't have a personal relationship with you today before they leave or they turn their computer off, that they will surrender their life once and for all to you, trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And uh, we'll praise you for all this, God. We ask you to move now in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, <clears throat> I love this. So we're just going to jump into Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now there it is again. If you were here last week or the week before, uh, this is something that we have talked about every service, and I, and I think it's so important to remind you, if you weren't here or if you were here and you forgot, that word accord means in harmony. And we talked about it being similar to a, a musical uh, collection of notes that produces harmony. And that's the way the church was operating at this point in time. Separate notes blended together, tightly together, in this spiritual masterpiece. And you know, my, my prayer is that we will be that spiritual masterpiece. I believe if, if, if we could have spiritual eyes to, and we're, we're kind of looking back now at the record, but if we were able to be a part of it back then or to glimpse, have a glimpse of that first church, I believe that's what it would look like to us, a spiritual masterpiece. Now, mind you, these, these people were bad people, just like us. They weren't like saints in, in, in man's eyes. They were uh, you know, remember Peter had, had denied the Lord and cursed that he had ever known him. And he'd gone back even fishing and, you know, and the, the resurrected Christ basically had to appear and say, hey, look, get your act together. 
and, and, and come back and, and, and follow me. And, um, and so again, it wasn't the human ability, it wasn't the human resources that they had. It was, it was the fact that they had submitted themselves and had obeyed, and the Holy Spirit was, was, was about to empower this church that was, again, a, a beautiful masterpiece, spiritual master, masterpiece. And that's my prayer. God, help us to be that spiritual masterpiece. Help, help us be so together like that first church was in this place as a body, as a family. A beautiful, harmonious spirit. And I, this is kind of off my notes. I'm going to try not to do this much today. But what about the note you're playing? Is it in sync with the church that the Lord has placed you in. Which again, it's, it's all His church, but this local assembly, is your, is your heart, is your life in harmony with what God is doing here and what He wants to do through this church? It can be many things. It can be your, uh, the, the things that you're choosing to do, not to do. It could be uh, something in your heart, something, um, uh, so many different things can, can cause a sour note to come from our lives. But what is it in your life? Is it, is it a note that is in harmony with what God is doing here? Again, we see there's a, a clear emphasis uh, from the Spirit given to Luke throughout this first part of this account about the unity of the church. That's, that's essential. Like, we're never going to do anything in God's eyes that is, I believe, pleasing and also powerful for the kingdom of God. If we aren't a church that's unified like this, I believe if, if we're not willing to say, God, I'm not my will, but thy will be done. That's what they had all done. They had, they had all surrendered to this place of, of saying, you know what? We are willing to do whatever God wants us to do. If it's to go back to Jerusalem and pray and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, then that's what we're going to do. Yeah, but the, didn't they have so many other things that they could be doing at that point in time than just sitting around and praying with each other? So I thought they had this eternal importance weighing heavily on them, that there wasn't anything temporal that could pull them away from that. And oh man, I, I want that so badly. I, I want that so badly. I want that so badly for our church that we have that same mind, the mind of Christ, that says, man, we, we are so dedicated to the eternal. We are so fixed on the kingdom of God. Now, there's nothing temporal that will ever come in the way of us accomplishing what God wants us to do. Again, they're just there obeying, waiting, praying, and this is the harmony that we find. I share a, a quote in the notes. It's, it's from R.C. Sproul. He said, How desperately sad is the fact that the church today is known by schism, not unity. Ignorance, not knowledge and indecisiveness rather than maturity. How it must break God's heart to see us continue in such poverty-stricken condition in light of what He's done, stands ready to do, and has the resources to accomplish, and has defined as our calling in Christ. See, we, we should strive to have the same unity that was, that was happening in that first church. Again, they were the same, we're the same as them, just a different era, as I said a while ago. To be of that one heart, one mind, Striving together for the faith, as Paul told uh, the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Again, the first church, no, no question was united. And, and, and their true faith was in Christ alone, and it governed their thinking. 
It governed their, 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 their decisions. Their unity in Christ alone, trust in Him above all, in, in, in all these things, it governed everything. It governed their, not only their, their thinking, their decisions, but their priorities. As I said a while ago, could they have been doing other things other than being in harmony with each other for the kingdom of God? Could, could they have been thinking about catching the local gladiator game instead of being there praying together? Sure, may, maybe they could have done. Yeah, is there anything wrong with maybe catching the gladiator game except for maybe people were dying and, and being slaughtered? Yeah, the, 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 there, there might not be anything wrong with, with doing that unless it came in the way of what was eternally important. Should we be here praying or should we go and watch the, the gladiator game? Jesus told us to, to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and then at that point, we're supposed to go out and be witnesses for him with the power of the Holy Spirit. But oh man, did you see the beast that they're bringing into the arena? I mean, what were they? We don't see any of that in the first church, but again, I'm sure they had other things that they could have been doing, other things that they could be thinking about, other things that of this world that maybe weren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but when it came to the fact that they had something eternally important to be doing, they had this fervent, burning passion to, to, to obey, to, to, to pursue Christ, to fulfill this one mission that he gave them. See, everything else in their life about being uh, the, the husband they were supposed to be, the, the, the wife they were supposed to be, the, the, the kids and, and the family and, and, and the citizens and all those things, all of those things pointed to the one mission that he gave the church. All of the things that, that we live in, the, in this world and, and, and have and are blessed with, all of those things are supposed to be focused around Jesus Christ and fulfilling this mission still today. But I wonder how backwards we have it. Jesus, come along with us as we go do our thing. He gave them one mission, and so well, they weren't preoccupied with finding temporal activities or temporal reasons or excuses to keep them from what they knew was eternally vital. They weren't looking for those things. They had seen Christ. They had experienced Christ. They knew that it was, it was time to get very, very serious about the eternal work that he had just entrusted them with. Of course, that's the Great Commission with the Holy Spirit's power. And again, I want what they had I want that in my life. I, I want to say there is nothing or no one that's going to come the way of me accomplishing what Christ has called me to do. And I, I want that so desperately for our church. There's nothing temporal that will ever come in the way of, of something eternal. We have the same things that they had. We have the same Christ, the same Holy Spirit, the same call. The, the, we have the Word of God. We have all those things. And, and maybe the thing that's missing from our lives today is the urgency and the passion for the things of God. Maybe, maybe it is the urgency and passion for the Lord's soon return. Again, they had that passion because He had just left them. And in John chapter 14, remember, He said, look, if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And he told them, I'm, I'm, I will return. And Matthew, at, at the end of Matthew, when they were saying, what are the end of the times going to look like? He said, look, he's telling them, but you need to endure because I'll be returning. Again, what, what, if, what if we knew tomorrow was our last day on this earth? 
What if God lets you know, okay, today and sometime tomorrow, it's all the time you have left. What if, what if you knew that he was coming back tomorrow without question? It was happening. Would you have a different passion for the eternal kingdom and the call versus not knowing that he is coming at any moment? What about this? Would you maybe have the thought that you had done enough for the kingdom of God, for the king? Maybe, maybe in your mind you would be thinking, well, I think I've tried pretty hard as a Christian. If he came back tomorrow, I think I'd be okay with that. Or, or, or are you there, like me, thinking, man, if I knew he was coming back tomorrow, I wouldn't question the conversations. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate in sharing the gospel. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't try to work my way out of those conversations sometimes because maybe, maybe it wasn't the time or maybe they weren't ready or maybe they were in a hurry. Maybe I would approach my life a little bit differently with a little bit more urgency if I knew the time that Jesus was coming back. But again, I, I'm concerned that some of us as American Christians would be kind of satisfied, like, well, I, you know, I've tried. Um, I know I'm going to heaven, so when he comes back, I mean, I'll be all good. I, I'm, I'm okay with, with that. I mean, I haven't shared the gospel like I should. I haven't been a part of that. I haven't, been, you know, I haven't do all, done all those things. But man, I, I know I'm going to heaven, so I'm okay with the effort that I've given to the king who literally gave his all for me. Again, the first church had seen it. They had, they had been personal witnesses. They had testified. They, they, they were, and therefore, passionate and urgent, waiting, praying, anticipating the moment that the, the Spirit would empower them so that they could go out and do this amazing, eternally important job. So we continue on. We're about to see the Holy Spirit descend. And fill this church, this one place, with one accord. The promise that Jesus gave them. Let's say something real quick before we jump into that. You know, Jesus had walked with them, God in the flesh, literally been there in their presence. And now he was gone, and the promise was that the comforter would come, that God's presence would be in and through the Holy Spirit. That is, that's how he was going to work in the church and through the church. And why would that be so important to wait on? Why, why, if they had been with Jesus and they had the command and they knew what the word was and they were the foundation of the church, they were the apostles, why, would they ha- why was it so important to wait on the Holy Spirit? Again, they knew what Jesus' ministry was and what his call was. I think it's so important. I'm not going to read all of it. In John chapter 15 You see, Jesus says, when the Comforter has come, in verse 26, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. He'll he'll be the one that that connects you to me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then he goes on and he tells them that this is what you're going to face, but the Holy Spirit is going to come and do basically what Christ was doing in the flesh. He was going to do in the Spirit. He tells them he's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to lead them in the truth. 
All those things. So again, this first church gathered in, in, in faith-filled anticipation for the power of God to come upon them through the Holy Spirit, through the Helper, through the Comforter. So they could do what Christ had commanded them to do, to be who he had commanded them to be. Now, I want to say a little side point too, out of the little side points with all this. It's very important. Just like us today, they weren't given an exact time of when the Holy Spirit was going to come. They were just told to go and pray, go and wait for the Holy Spirit to empower them. But they weren't given the time. So if we go back and we understand what, what the time frame was, Jesus had had what? What kind of supper with them? The Passover, right? He had sat down with them on what we call the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. He had sat down and he ate that with them at Passover. What time of year was that? That's probably April, May. I'm sorry, March, April. In the middle of the, the month of Nisan for, for the Jewish calendar, the Feast of Unleavened Bread celebrated for seven days. And that the day after that, there are seven full weeks that are supposed to be accomplished until the next feast, which is the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest or Feast of First Fruits. And that seven, the, the one day after and seven full weeks makes 50 days. Hence the word pente, hence the word Pentecost, as it would be referred to as that, as that feast time. So all Jews similarly would be gathered. It was one of, the, one of the times that they were supposed to be gathered there in Jerusalem. So this would be sometime in what we would consider our May or June time frame that this was going on. So they're waiting during this celebration for the Holy Spirit to empower them at the feast of the first fruits. Now, get that, Right? They, they are celebrating the, the Lord's feast, the, which the Bible tells us that the feasts are the Lord's. And so they are celebrating what God has done for them. And the feast that they are celebrating, just as, as Jesus connected the Passover feast to him, he said, you know, this is all about me, basically. Eat, eat, this, this bread is, is my body, which is broken for you. This cup is, is the, the New Testament, my, the, the, my blood in the New Testament. So that he connected that well now the holy spirit is going to help this church connect what it's all about at the feast of the harvest the feast of the first fruits here they are gathered around waiting for the holy spirit to descend and empower them so that they can see the harvest of souls so they can see the first fruits of the church come in Ch chapter 2 verse 2 suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there opened unto them, and there, I'm sorry, appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now the sound, the Bible says, of a mighty rushing wind. They, they didn't see a wind. It was the sound of a wind. Now could there have been a wind? Yeah, but it said that there was a sound of a wind that came on. Then the eyewitness account was that there appeared unto them separate tongues of fire that look like fire, not of fire, that look like fire. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, which the word tongues is interpreted languages. We'll talk about that in a second. As the Spirit gave them utterance, or as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak, so they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. They all began to speak with different languages or speak with languages 
as the Spirit gave them ability to speak. What happened here? What, what happened in just the first couple of verses, a few verses of Acts chapter 2? What happened is this, God fulfilled His promise. God did exactly what He told Him to do. He didn't tell them when He was going to do it. He just told them, I want you to listen to me, I want you to obey me, and I will do what I promise to do. Again, no time frame. He didn't say, hey, in a week from now. He didn't even tell them in a couple months. He didn't tell them in seven weeks from now, on the day of Pentecost, this is what I'm going to do. He didn't tell them in those things. He just said, trust me. And they said, yes, Lord. We'll wait and we'll pray. We'll trust you. And God did exactly what God has always done. He delivered on his promise. And that's point number one. God has always delivered on his promises. And this is an important point because you and I should learn the promises of God. We should know what he has, has spoken. We should know that, that we can claim these promises. I believe that we should pray these promises. Even, even it says in, in, uh, in, in the book of uh, Revelation where John says, even Lord, come quickly, Lord. Because <laughs> Jesus said, I'm, I'm coming quickly. Behold, I come quickly. So, amen, come quickly. And we should trust them. But I don't want you to think about this whole tongue situation. What's going on here? You got some fishermen. You got some guys who are, you know, just regular Joes. They're not, they're not university scholars. They're not, they're, they are not educated men. And so they're simply obeying the Lord, and the power of God comes upon them. And each one of them, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them, begins to speak a different language than what they were raised knowing. Again, at the Spirit's prompting. Why is this so important? It's important to note that this word, as, as I said a while ago, tongue means language. The word in the Greek is glossa. This word is used for a couple different things. One of the things it's actually used for is the actual organ. So when you say tongue, you're talking about the physical organ. So when someone says that there were tongues of fire, it, it, when you see a flame, a lot of times it looks like a, a tongue. Uh, it looks like the organ of a tongue. So that's one of the, the interpretations. The other one is a language with a tribe or a people attached to it or a region. The other interpretation of it, which we find from Scripture, is that it was a supernatural gift given to someone who spoke another language that they didn't previously know or that they hadn't learned. So, for example, I have no idea about Chinese. You know a little Chinese, yeah, yeah. Anybody else know Chinese? No. I have no idea. I mean, it, I'm not going to be insensitive and, and, and say I could make sounds like that, but it would just be babble, right? If I didn't know the language and I tried to make the sounds like that, maybe some words come out and be offensive to people, but I don't know the language. I have no idea about the language. But if, if God chose to give to me the gift, supernatural gift of tongues, then that means I would be empowered as the Spirit gave me the ability to speak, to speak the language that God wanted me to speak. Be it Chinese, Spanish, Arabic, whatever. I mean, that would be the power of God. It's not some type of erratic babble. It's not some type of confusing uh, sounds that come out of somebody's mouth. It's an actual language that is spoken 
that wasn't known by the person before. Again, supernaturally given by the Holy Spirit. Now, this was direct evidence of the Holy Spirit's power. And that was one of the things that was needed at the time, right? Jesus was walking around saying, look, uh, get up and walk, you know. <laughs> and he was putting mud on people's eyes and telling them to go wash and, and they can see. Like Jesus was doing that. And now he was ascended. And he said, I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to empower you. And you're going to do these things. You're, you shall be witnesses. You're going to be the testimony. You are going to carry this out. And so this is what happened on that day of Pentecost. Uneducated men, for the most part, speaking languages for the regions from which all the people that were there had gathered from. Without ever having learned them before. Verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, and there it is, out of every nation under heaven. So Jews gathered for this feast, Feast of the Firstfruits, Feast of the Harvest, all the Jews from different languages, from, from different tribes, different, different regions were gathered there. And here the apostles are, empowered with, with the gift of tongues. That's the first thing they know. But can you imagine what they're thinking? Again, we've talked about it already. How in the world are we going to get out to every nation? I mean, I know, maybe this is their thought, I know a little bit of Greek, I know some Aramaic, I know, um, you know, of course, Hebrew, but, you know, I know he Jerusalem Hebrew, you know. I, I, I don't know some of the other, you know, variations around here. I'm just a simple fisherman. I've been here my whole life here in Galilee. So maybe their thought process was, okay, we can do Jerusalem. We can, we can reach Jerusalem. And even Judea, and even those stinking Samaritans, we can, we can do that. But we really are struggling with this uttermost part of the world thing. Like it really is kind of blowing our mind. Again, we've talked about it. In man's wisdom, it's impossible. Man's reckoning, there's absolutely no way that we're going to be able to get to the uttermost part of the world and deliver the gospel. We're going to be speaking two different languages. We have no idea how to do that. Hmm. God has an idea. On the day of Pentecost, where all Jews are gathered... Different languages, different regions, boom, the gift of tongues. I have to think that they must have thought, well, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's times that as Christians today, we think there's just no way. Like, we really see that's an important work. That's really a, that's a, that we would love to give that much money. We would love to, to go to that region. We would love to, uh, you know, to, to get the gospel. I'd love to see this person healed. I'd love to see that person saved, but well, there's just no way. Like, we kind of, we, we go there, and I can imagine as human beings, even though they'd seen and experienced everything they'd seen and experienced with Jesus, the resurrected king, maybe, and maybe this is wrong of me, but maybe they were having those questions. Regardless of the questions were there, they were ready and willing and obedient. And God took that willingness, took that obedience, and did the supernatural. He did the unthinkable. He did the impossible. Yet he did it with these guys in the most basic and simple way. And that's point number two. God takes our willingness and obedience in simple things. And does the supernatural. 
And there's no way I could recount all the many times that it it was just the simple things that God used. It was no great, uh, uh, you know, work of of man's talents and abilities and and, and mind and resources. Uh, Many times just the simple, basic obedience that has been seen throughout the history and, 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 uh, uh, of the church. And, and, but speaking to me personally, it's, it's sometimes just been like, oh, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Didn't expect that. But God took that willingness and obedience and something maybe so simple. Well, did you invite them to church? Well, no. Maybe it's just that simple and basic thing. Well, did you share the track with them? Or did you? Well, no, I, I didn't. Sometimes it's those simple and basic things. God just takes our willingness and obedience, and He's the one that does the supernatural. Sometimes we put so much on ourselves, like, well, what if they ask these questions? Or what if they, they, they get into these, what if they're an atheist and they start denying the existence of God altogether, and I don't know any arguments to, to come, at, come back at them with them. Listen, sometimes it's just those willingness and obedience and the simple things that God says, just let me handle it. These guys were sitting there, and can you imagine? Looking out among this crowd, great, now, now we're talking different languages. When is this going to happen? Like, does it just happen randomly? What, you know, well, how does this work? You know, I mean, they, they didn't have any instructions. God didn't give a manual. There, were, there was nothing about this. It says, as the spirits gave, gave them ability to speak, that's how they begin to speak. Reminds, I, I was thinking back a long time ago, I was, uh, I think it was Avery primarily, but Addison may have too. There's a, there was a, uh, a TV show called The Fresh Beat Band. And they had these characters on there, and one of the things that uh, one of the characters would do, we, need, we can do it like this, do this, this. They had a plan. And he would come up with this big elaborate plan, so complicated. And then the another part, member, I think it was m- mostly a lady, uh, a girl, she would say, what if we did it like this? And then the guy who came up with the complicated plan would say, or we could do it the easy way. You know, and, and, and that's, I think that's what happens with us sometimes. We often do that even in our service to God. We, we, we think it has to be so complex and so difficult. We try to reason and figure and, and work and estimate and usually so much harder than what it actually is. Let God lead the way. Let God do the work. Let's just simply obey. Let's just simply be faithful. And God takes the faithfulness of his people the willingness and the obedience. I mean, he does the supernatural. How can we multiply our efforts? How can we make use of the oceans? How, how can we, okay, what, what, what merchants do we need to contact to, to build bigger ships? Because we're going to have to have supplies. We're going to have to, you know, have different people on board. And we're going to have to go around the world. I'm not talk, there's, there's nothing wrong with logistics. But can you imagine how they were trying to figure out how to get the gospel to the whole world, to the uttermost? Oh. You're just going to bring people from every nation here in one place, and we'll just share the gospel there. You know, I mean, we could do it the easy way. Again, this is a church that was in tune spiritually to see and to seize the opportunity that God had given. And that's, that's what the first church did, and that's what we need today, is to see and seize the opportunity that God gives to us today. The most self-asserting apostle, maybe Peter, he was waiting as well. Unity, the obedience, the prayer, 
all these things that God had put in their hearts and they were surrendered to. It all enabled them to have this spiritual in-tuneness. It all, it all gave to them this, this togetherness and the sensitivity to the Spirit that prompted gospel action. Point number three is unity, prayer, and obedience lead to the Spirit's filling, to spiritual sensitivity that helps us seize gospel opportunities. Same thing today. Church member, if you're not praying for the lost souls in our community, in your life, if you're not praying together with us about that, we're going to miss the power that God gave to that first church. So why, why are we not seeing people saved like, like, like other people talk about? And, and, and other, why are we not doing that? Maybe it's because we're not even caring enough to pray for lost souls in our life. Maybe we're not praying for the people in this community. Maybe we get so worked up about what's going on in our, in our world, which I can be guilty too. We get so worked up and so upset versus saying, God, save the lost. Those who are wicked and exercising wickedness, God, save them, convict them, send us to them, send churches to these people so they can see and hear the gospel. Why do we not act like that? Why do we not live like that? This first church, they were just doing simple things. They were praying. We talked about it last week for God's will and God's work. They were waiting on the power of the Holy Spirit. They were being obedient. They were together. They were in harmony. They cared about the same things. They were worried about doing God's will. They were wanting to make sure that God's great commission got accomplished. That's what was their focus. And where's Bill? I don't know. I think he had something to do. Well, what are we talking about something to do? We're praying about lost souls. We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Why isn't he here? This is important things. These are important things. Sometimes we're not sensitive to the spiritual opportunities because of that. And so we're not, we're not sensitive, we're not in tune to, to what God is leading us and, and, and leading our church to. And so we're not seizing the gospel opportunities. Verse 6, now when it, this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. There, there's the explanation of that. They said, well, go, well, how do you know it wasn't just Babel? How do you know it just wasn't like some type of heavenly language that they could speak and, and, and only angels, you know, could speak and, and only God could interpret and the enemy couldn't steal it and the enemy couldn't, you know, take their prayers and their words and, 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 and mess things up. And how do you know that? The Bible says so. <laughs> the Bible says that they were all mind-blown, confounded. They all were like, what is going on? Because it says every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed, and they marveled. All these Jews that were gathered from every nation with different languages, from different tribes, and, and, and all this, they, they were saying to one another, they says, behold, are, are not all these which speak Galileans? They knew it. They had, they had seen them. They had heard them. They, they knew their dialect. They, they had been speaking Hebrew with the dialect of the Galilean Jews, the Galilean Hebrews. And so they knew, okay, well, we may be able to speak a little bit. They may be able to, you know, kind of like different parts of uh, uh, Spanish and, and stuff like that. Well, they, that, may, that may cross over. It may sound a little bit alike. 
But they were mind-blowing because they were hearing them in their own language, and they knew that they were Galileans. And so they said, how, how are we hearing every man in our own tongue? And that, that they use tongue there, but it's the same exact word as language, glossa, language, wherein we were born. And there it goes. There, there it describes that there's different dialects of that, that language, uh, Parthians, Medes, uh, Elamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, and Egypt, and other parts of Libya and Cyrene, and, and strangers of Rome even, Jews and proselytes, people who had been converted who didn't even speak Hebrew, Cretes uh, and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our, in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed, and, and yet they were in doubt saying to one another, what's going on? What does this mean? We're all here. We can very clear, clearly see that these people who are Arabians, they speak a different language. These people from Rome, they are speaking this language. And, and some of these people, are, again, they're, they're converts, they're proselytes, and now they're gathered here. But we're all hearing these guys talk about the wonderful works of God in our own language. They were literally at a loss. They couldn't understand what was happening. Confusion with the use of tongues still exists today. It comes from the misinterpretation of the purpose. The, the Corinthian church, just a, a couple decades after this, by the time that the Corinthian church was established, there, there was already a misuse and misunderstanding of the gift of tongues. It was being exalted. If you can imagine, put yourself in that shoes, right? You're just a basic person. You, you don't have any, any really ability. Other, you can go out there and you can make your, 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 your woodwork. You don't have any university education. You definitely don't speak other languages. But you get saved, and then God gives you the, 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 the gift of tongue. You can speak a different language. You never learned it before. You have spoken Hebrew your whole life, and now you can also speak Greek. You struggled in the marketplace, but now you can do it. Now you can speak, and, 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 and you realize now, oh, maybe God gave this to me so that I can share the gospel with those people in the marketplace. I can go and speak Greek to those people and that, that I've never spoken before in the, in the power of God, and, and they can hear about the, the gospel. And what was happening is maybe there's some people like that, and Maybe some people who had been educated and learned different languages, and they were getting up in church, like we were gathered here today, maybe. And somebody would say, hey, I need to share something. Holy Spirit put something on my heart. Okay, share it. You know, rattle off in a different language. And they'd sit back down. You know, that was of God. You know, Spirit came through. You know. And Paul, Paul got wind, like, some people are exalting this gift, and some people are trying to appear more spiritual than other people. And so he said, look, you guys need to get it straight. Chapter 14, he would say, let everything be done decently and in order. And he would, he would go back and he would say, listen, if somebody's going to speak in, in a different language, first of all, there needs to be an interpreter. Somebody's to be able to, to interpret. If that person has been given the gift of tongues, but they don't necessarily know uh, how to interpret the language that they're speaking. They just are speaking and they know that God is using and working. Then somebody needs to be able to interpret that. Hey, Joe just gave a testimony of what God did in his life and how he saved his, his wife. And, and, uh, and, and he it just wanted to, to, to share that because maybe somebody here needed to know that, that, that God is not done with you and your family. You know, I don't know. I mean, that's just 
That's what he said. Nobody else here speaks Mandarin, but Joe just spoke Mandarin, you know, <laughs> and that's what was said. Let everything be done decently and in order. And, and so that wasn't happening. People were being exalted. Paul tries to correct it. It still happens today. People exalt Babel as a, 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 a spiritual gift. They say, yeah, but what did Paul say? I, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, and uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't speak and uh, nobody's interpreting, then let them, let them do it privately to, to God. You know, what, what about all those rules? Again, if you go to the end of chapter 14, he says, let all things be done decently in order. It was being abused. It was being exalted. He said, hey, you need to cover the best things. You need to pray that you prophesy, proclaim the truth over showing that you got some type of spiritual gift and power. Let God be exalted. Let the truth come out. And so again, we see that the objective was very clear with giving the, the, the gift of tongues so that God would be glorified, so that the witness, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ would go out. We've got to make sure that we're striving for the things that they were striving for in the first church. Close fellowship with each other, with the Father. They were able to see with spiritual eyes. They were in tune. They were operating in spiritual gifts. Again, you, you see what happens in the next few verses. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but in verse 13, they begin to, to mock them, it says. And they say, oh, these guys are full of new wine. They, they, that's what's happened. They're drunk, and they're just kind of picking up words that they've heard before, and it's just coming out. But then Peter gets up and begins to give a historic account of the Jewish nation and also give the gospel, of course, of Jesus Christ through that. It goes on through verse 40. I'm sorry, verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord shall call, Lord God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation, this wicked generation. And look what happens. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Again, we, we, we look today and say, man, well, I want God to do that. I got loved ones, I got friends, I got co-workers, I got all these things. I, I want God to do, but let's remember what this first church had dedicated themselves to. They were praying. They were together. The, 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 the Great Commission mattered to them. Getting the gospel to people mattered so much so that they said, look, we're going to pray and we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit to empower us. Three thousand souls. That's impossible. That's supernatural. That's God. Same God still working today. I've gone back through this study as a close, just as a, a roadmap, uh, to kind of see our, our spiritual heritage, the lineage that we have in the church. What brought us to the point that we're actually sitting here today? This is where it started. Faithful men, faithful women, in harmony, praying, caring about souls, caring about each other, making sure that, that they're doing what Jesus commanded them to do. Yes, they had responsibilities in this world, but they said, man, there's nothing more important than what our Lord has commanded us to do. 
Again, we see a little bit of that persecution happening again in our world today. In, in California, as I've mentioned already, there, there's, a, there's a law saying you cannot have indoor worship services. And if you're going to have outdoor worship services, here are the restrictions. And the church has a responsibility. Again, we've been dealing with this for months. And the church has, and there's many pastors that have said, you know what? Okay, we're just not going to meet at all. We'll just do virtual stuff. But there are some churches and pastors who said, no, it's been long enough. We are commanded by our Lord to gather, to exhort each other, to use spiritual gifts, to edify one another. We are, we are, we are commanded that we are not to forsake assembling. And so we're going to do it regardless of what it costs us on this earth. It's the, the church is being pressured in our own nation right now. Praise God we live in this state, but I also wonder, should we be praying, God, bring the persecutions? And no, don't pray that. But, but they're finding a different joy in those churches. Man. That's the testimony that's coming out of California. They're finding a different joy than, than what they had before. And I'm thinking, man, is that what is missing in our we were so blessed, and we've ridden on these blessings, and we've ridden on this comfort, and we've gotten so intoxicated, as I said last week, and drunk on the things of this world that, that this is what our life has become about, and we've lost this in-tuneness. We've lost this connection with the spiritually and eternally important things. Is there any area in, in my life, is there any area in your life that are holding back obedience or surrender and if there is are we then limiting the power of God in our life and through our life then it's happening in our church would God use Trinity Baptist Temple to add 3,000 souls in one day to his to his kingdom well I pray that would be the case but are we even caring enough to pray for them that that God would even say I, I can't even use you because you're just wanting it to happen by default. You don't care about their souls. You're not praying for their souls. You're not striving together for the faith of the gospel. Is that what God would say to us? I pray not. We've got to get in harmony together first. We've got to be praying together before we ever have those spiritual eyes. And then we've got to faithfully act. I pray that's what happens with our church. I pray that if the Lord comes back today or tomorrow, he finds us broken over souls, dedicated to his mission above anything in this world. That's what he wants to find, is those who are so doing when he returns. Father, thank you so much for this time. God, as I've prayed already, forgive me. Forgive us as a church. We get so wrapped up and so preoccupied and so inundated as well with so many things and we are we're just flesh and, and we're prone to wonder but God we need your help and may this this study and this message and and even examples of our brothers and sisters right here in our own nation serve as an example to us that will it take persecution before we start getting excited about the things of God will it take persecution before we start getting passionate about your kingdom and your call. I pray not. I pray that we would see the blessings, that the door is wide open for us. There's, 
that there's nothing coming against us right now, and we can, we can pray together, and we can be in harmony. We can go and share the gospel right now. We can, we can be all about your kingdom and, and, and without any fear. And so, Lord, help us not wait till the persecution comes. Help us not wait for another time, but help us act right now. And I pray that you would do something supernatural, amazing, in our church and through our church.